Okay. All right. So. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and, and this is very exciting news, not Ruben, but Ben, also known as Ben Grasher. It's episode 18, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. And besides for not having Ruben, we do have even we do have other exciting news, which is we have a guest this week, and it's Man and Mouse. Hey, Mom. Hey, how are you doing? Good. And we have Ben. Hello, everyone. So this week, we're going to follow our uh, usual script. So we'll start with card of the week. We'll do a seven-win breakdown. And you guys have been continuing to knock it out of the park. 79 lists this week. Then we're going to talk about, because both Ben and Mom had uh, success this uh, past week, or maybe two weeks ago now, I guess, in the uh, test event, and then uh, with Mom winning the whole thing the test uh, limited event, and then in the draft master's challenge, Ben getting to the top 16. So I just wanted to talk to them about their experiences with that. And then Mum is one of the most prolific streamers of Eternal Draft, so I thought we could get his opinions on the format. And then we'll review Ben's top 64 draft of the tournament. All right, so let's begin. So Mum, how was your draft week? Depends on the metric we use. If we are talking win rate and general enjoyment, it was a really good week. I still enjoy the format a lot. If we are talking rank, it was a terrible week. But yeah, overall, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun in this format. Yeah, I feel like that's probably a side discussion we could have one day. It's about the, sort of the wonky ranking system once you get high in the ranks. And how it sort of disincentivizes you to play. So Ben, how was your draft week? Uh, pretty good. The tournament was amazing, uh, and my personal results in the last week or so have been, you know, above average, but not not quite as many sevens as I would like. That I've been drafting a little bit too much of uh, some colors that are perhaps not amazing, but I'm learning from that, so it's a good experience. I really do like the format as well. Yeah, the format has been um, really great. From the little the little that I've been playing it, I have been having some success figuring out how not to just draft uh, fire aggro. So that's been fun throwing a little bit of time and stuff into my decks. But uh, yeah, so let's uh, move on. So we'll go to our flagship, never forgotten segment, card of the week. Ben, what card did you want to talk about? Actually. Uh... As I will mention, I've updated my seven-win spreadsheet uh, for top cards, and a card that finished surprisingly high, actually number one in the list, was Argentport Soldier. Uh, and I think if you gave people a lot of guesses, they would uh, they would not guess that card, but it makes some amount of sense. It's a pretty aggressive uh, two-drop creature in uh, the curated packs. There's not a lot of uh, two drops in Justice, uh, and this is one of the best, and Justice is doing just fine. This card has performed just surprisingly well and is filling out curves uh, throughout the sheet. So take your Argent Port Soldiers. Yeah. 
But w- would you say this is an instance of where, because it's doing so well, you should raise it up in your pick order, or you should just be cognizant of the fact that it's a good card and you should take them when you... You, you know what I well, mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. not this like, is... oh, wow, this is our best... It's, yeah. This is our best justice card. We better pack one, pick one this. It's just... Well, so something that happens a lot in this draft is, uh, like, you often exit pack one with like four creatures or something, uh, which is not very many. And a lot of the creatures are high on the curve. So I I do think it indicates uh, a need to prioritize uh, curve creatures rather than necessarily this specific curve creature. I I think a lot of decks that I've seen have had a lot of three drops, but not very many two drops, uh, which makes for some pretty awkward curves. And... Whether you take Argentport Soldier or that uh, Onslaught creature from the Set 6 packs, Svetia's Faithful, or uh, some other 2-drop creature, just don't ignore your 2-drops, I think, is what this says, more than take Argentport Soldier specifically. Uh, does that answer your question? It does, yeah. But cool. now that you mentioned Svetia's Faithful, I'm kind of surprised that those aren't closer. Well, Svetia's Faithful is also, uh, so it's a commonly held belief that the uh, set six packs contain more powerful cards. Uh, So it's likely that uh, in those packs, people are taking flashier cards like maybe Torrid Test Pilot or uh, Retribution. Uh, Maybe there's a little more competition for green cards in general in the set six packs, whereas in the curated packs, you're doing the best you can mm-hmm. and perhaps Argentport soldier is the best you can do just like like in uh, in the previous format the common knowledge was take your good cards in uh set five and then get your fixing from the curated packs and fixing is not very exciting uh, Argentport soldier is not very exciting but it's performing the role of uh make your deck function that's what i would say about Argentport soldier I think it's also one of the very few two drops Justice has because unless you have a lot of one drops, Svetia's Faithful is not really a two drop unless you want to play a one one for very two, true. which often you don't. You don't want to play your Faithful on two unless you can trigger the onslaught. So would you hold back your Svetia's Faithful, or would you play it out as a a one one if that's your only two drop in hand? That depends. If I have a three drop in hand, I probably would hold it back. Mm-hmm. and try to trigger the Onslaught with my 3-drop. If I have it on turn 2 and it's on top of my deck, I can warp it in. I'm fine playing it as a Temple Scribe, so to speak. Basically yeah. warp it in as a 1-1 one, one and get it off the top of my deck. All right, so Mom, sure. what is your card of the week? I've picked Detain because that is the most questioned card on my stream whenever I include it in my deck. Because Detain has traditionally not been a very good combat trick, right? Detain is the uh, one power, one justice influence fast spell that reduces an enemy unit's attack by six. That is Detain. Yeah, nobody knows that card for for good reasons. Um, Because in the context of the old sets, it just got outclassed by the other combat tricks that were around. In set one, justice had access to finest hour, there was rapid shot, there was rampage. There were so many good spells that you that detain was usually not a good option to pick in this set i think it has changed a bit for a couple of reasons 
first it's super cheap one power is uh, as cheap as it as it gets um, there are a lot more spells matters card around in this set in various fashion be it Kosul uh, diplomat be it spire spell sword be it uh, unseen ghost blade or inner might and Mostly the cheapness of it makes it fine to use it in almost any situation where you can get value off of it. Like if you trade your 3-drop for their 3-drop and you get to keep your 3-drop because you had a detain for 1 power, you're perfectly fine using basically a 1 power removal spell to kill the enemy 3-drop. Um, another reason why I think detain is fine is I look at my decks usually, my draft decks, as sort of a toolbox. You will be confronted with a lot of different situations in a draft. Sometimes you're on the play, sometimes you're on the draw, you are the defender, you are the aggressor. And Detail is one of those spells that lets you be the defender very well. Like if one of your opponent's big guys comes swinging in and you get to triple block it and use a Detail to basically keep all your creatures around, you answered their 5 or 6 drop with a 1 power spell. That is really powerful as well. It's also a good answer to deadly units, one of the few combat tricks that actually deals with deadly units in an effective fashion. To be honest, there's not that many deadly around though in this format. And quick draw as well. And quick draw as well. It's also basically an anti-combat combat trick. Right? <laughs> if your opponent plays something like a pummel or a daring maneuver to push through their blurry chaser, you have a very good chance of making the trade in your favor happen with a detain. Is there any color combinations that you think it does better in or worse in? Um, I think one of the best ones is um, Combray. Because Combray usually has a bit of a slower start. They play their devotee of the sands or two and then um, start going from there while fire decks start on turn one. And fire decks or like Rakano decks, they usually want to have more aggressive combat tricks to 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 push their early aggression while the comrade decks rather want to play the defender for the first couple of turns and then try to start getting aggressive in the later stages and having like a cheap combat trick that that you can easily hold up while developing your board makes it much safer to get to the late game mm -hmm. that's very good it's also in the uh curated packs uh so it's not directly competing with something like uh flash grenade um yeah. So you, you get what you can out of the out of the curated packs, and this is a pretty good find. H how would you rate it relative to Flash Grenade? Because I know some people are very high on Flash Grenade. Um, that's hard to say. I think they both serve a bit of a different uh, bit of a different role. I would be happy to include both of them in my deck as a one-off. I don't think one is necessarily strictly better than the the other one. Like Flash Grenade certainly does an amazing job if your opponent is, has gone wide and swings in with a lot of small creatures. But it's not so great when your opponent swings with like a, a, a Rallying Sergeant, the 7-4. Like yeah. you, it's still a 5-4 even with a Flash Grenade, while a Detain puts it down to a 1-4, which makes it very easy to block. Like I think they both have very different functions. Well, not very different, but significantly different functions that... Um, it's hard to say one is better. Like they both shine in their respective situations where you want them. Mm -hmm. That's very true. But I would also like to point out that there's a lot of uh, one-cost spells in the the successful decks, uh, and this is definitely that fills that role of being something that you can do for cheap, which is very important in an aggressive format. Uh, 
So. Yeah, definitely. My card of the week uh, this week is Remembrance, which is the one shadow spell. Play a unit from your void with cost three or less and shift it. Uh, I was wondering, have you guys used this card or had it found it effective? I've yet to play with this card. The only time I really remember getting completely destroyed by Remembrance was when my opponent played an Ollie on turn two, traded it off and then remembranced it. And there was the Ollie sitting there, shifted, and my opponent traded off aggressively, and suddenly there was a there was a huge problem about to merge. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 go ahead. Uh, no, I just wanted to say I haven't uh, played with it yet myself, so I can't really comment too much on it. Well, yeah, that's I, probably saying a lot about the card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if. if... You haven't drafted it. I've played against it in, in ranked, and it it has done some impressive things there. But it, like the the cost limitation, seems like it matters quite a lot. You can't get a big guy back. You're you're also strongly delayed, and like it's not going to save you like a dark return would. Dark return is a strong performing card, uh, and having to cast the card again is typically like not a not a big restriction in uh, draft. Whereas in ranked, maybe you're trying to cheat something out. It does trigger the shift abilities, uh, which is a little weird. Uh, so maybe something like uh, a card with an expensive shift cost, like the uh, the two two primal yeti, would be good with it. But then you're in oh, yeah. Feln, which is let's say a little less than successful. <laughs> yeah, but we have a total of three Feln decks in our uh, in our sheet, which is uh, the average would be something like fifteen. I, the reason I wanted to talk about this card is because I have a Xenon uh, deck right now. And it seems like there's a lot of good targets for it in time, specifically. Getting a submerged, a shifted submerged Titan for one for one mana seems pretty good. Even like a novice Entomancer, you know, if you get your shift effect for one mana, you get a 2-2 Locust with Flying. Those and seem like... Th- those seem like they would be on the top end of what you could get. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, are they, the the Antimancer is an uncommon, right? Yes. So uh, that's the sort of thing you're going to want to look for if you're going to play cards like this. It's just you have to get you have to get something more than just a dark uh, bad dark return out of the card. I think. Right. Uh, no, I agree. I guess I I thought the submerged Titan thing has. I've only played a couple games with the deck, but has felt felt pretty good because I mean it's situational, but you're turning your one mana card into a shift four card that you want to sort of shift anyway, so it doesn't die. Plus, it, it's it's probably bigger. I I've ended up doing a lot of damage with it because I play my submerged titan, it grows, I hit him with unblockable, and then I pull it from the graveyard, shift it again. It's even bigger and unblockable again. So that seems reasonable. Yeah, not reasonable enough to play, I guess. But uh... it, it's just the conditional, <laughs> the conditional part of it. I think. Yeah, no, I I agree. I guess the main reason I wanted to bring it up is because when I initially looked at it, it seemed like very bad. Like, why would you want to dark return a card that takes three turns for it to come out? But the fact that it plays it straight to the board, and there are a bunch of expensive shift cards that are like cheap to play but expensive to shift so it has more utility than i initially gave it at first glance yeah you basically want 
to play it on units that give you instantaneous value when shifted. Like I yes. think the best hit you can get is yeah. like a Quake Titan. I think mm -hmm. that's probably the the best case scenario. I think in general, like two, three, or one, two, and three drops are not good enough to just get them back shifted to play Remembrance on it unless they have some kind of shift value on its own. Let's move to a seven win breakdown. Um, if you thought we had high participation last week with just 60 decks, we went even bigger this week and we've gotten over 79 deck lists from 38 active submitters. Um, which is really great. For those of you who don't know, we collect people's uh, seven win runs, and you can send them to farmingeternal at gmail.com, and then we collect them into a spreadsheet. Uh, we have two spreadsheets. Uh, one of them is lists all the decks for people to browse, as well as um, shows a faction breakdown of what factions are doing well and what aren't. And then we have another one that goes card by card that um, Ben should hopefully have out to the public this week. So we'll be able to start using that card by card uh, data pretty soon. The other thing, the other benefit of sending, a, sending us a seven win list is that um, you get to hear me read your name. So... Uh, <laughs> a, a dubious benefit, perhaps? Yeah. But yes. So, new contributors this week are Davo, Elliot R, Jason P, Josh K, Mr. Meeker, Out in a Limb, Yist Out, Zach E, and Zuby. As well as our veteran contributors, A Boss, Alexandra G, Angel A, Balkoth, Ben Grasher, Caruthers, Celtic Guardian 7, Collector, Dodo UK, Dubes, Dwiggy, Fernando N, For the Eternals, Gata Sujo, Great White, Induku, Jedi EJ, Jay Junker, Jose Carlos, 2121, Cassandra, Nero, Patrick H, Raven Dragon, Ruben L, Rofer, Spiro, Starstorm, Tim J, Twin Hex. And I do notice a glaring omission here, Mom. See, I just don't want you guys to be overworked. <laughs> You get so many lists. <laughs> you you actually have a lot of lists in the page because I uh, extract them from your Twitch stream. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I don't give credit to people where I do all the work. Yeah, that's <laughs> so good. <laughs> that's the reason. The main takeaway so far from our list, I think, and we have uh, 132 lists so far, is um, Fire Justice Time are all of, are about 50% are in about 50% of the decks one of those three colors and um I think I mentioned this last week but if you think that this is like a strictly two color format you would expect that and all five colors were equal um they should show up 40% of the time so the fact that fire time justice are above 50 uh sort of indicates that they are overperforming um, Shadows at 35% and Primals at a lowly 20%. I think a lot of people have been having the feeling that Primal's not doing very well, and that is showing up in our data so far. Uh, the other thing we wanted to talk about quickly, um, and Ben's going to take over for this, is uh, just splashing. Because um, about 18% of the decks, or uh, a little less than 1 in 5, are 3-color. And... Um, 
we kind of have got a lot of insight about splashing from the last format because that was a, a three color or a very splash heavy format. So Ben, do you want to take it away? Sure thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite notable. I think that we like only one in five decks even have splashes, and only five percent of the decks we've received are straight three color. It like in the last format, it was a hundred percent of the decks are three color. Uh, so clearly, there's a big change here. We did some analysis on uh, what people were willing to splash, and what they did to enable those splashes in the past format, uh, and. In the past format, you had something like uh, one and a half enablers for each splash card you wanted to splash. So if you splashed three Beastmasters in your Rakano deck, you would have something like four or five ways to support that splash, um, which is crazy. You'd have more enablers than payoffs. And th that was in our successful decks. In in the current format, we see something like a one-to-one -one ratio of splash enablers to splash cards. So you'll see people who are trying to splash a uh, like the cannon, the red six-cost card. They'll have at least like a seek power to help them out there. Um, yeah, by um, by sp splash enablers, you don't just mean putting a fire sigil in your deck, right? Right. Not a f not fire sigils. Fire sigils in this scenario, don't help you out very much. I'm talking about something that directly gives you the uh, color of your splash without having to play uh, that, that's not necessarily Fire Sigil. Like Seek Power requires you to play a Fire Sigil, but Seek Power also gets your main colors. Uh, if we were in that uh, Rakano splashing primal for uh, Beastmaster scenario, it would be something like Huru Banner or uh, Skycrag Banner because they give you they directly give you the splash color while not hurting your main colors. So it, even in this uh, set six format, we're seeing people somehow have these enablers. There, there's really not very many enablers to get, like compared to the previous format, seek power and then like a lot of uncommons. Um, but people are still managing to get them when they're splashing and when those splashes are successful because they translate into seven wins. Like the more splash cards you want to play, the more enablers you should play, and you really need to find those enablers because, like, the seven seven four power bases are not showing up strongly, shall we say, in the uh, in the seven win spreadsheet. And then in straight three color decks, those require a lot more fixing, and we're seeing something like four or five enablers in those scenarios, which is like that's a lot given the format. Uh, and that's why we probably don't see a lot of success of these lists because there just aren't that many enablers to go around. If you want to try and make that work, make sure you uh, highly prioritize uh, fixing or you're probably going to have some mana problems. Um, yeah, and I think this format is maybe even more punishing because for sure, yeah, can get out to such an aggressive start that right. there's... There's aggression, and there's also a lot of the, the very good cards are double influence. So things mm -hmm. like Steel Legion or uh, the, the Blue Flyers, like a lot of the very powerful cards are heavy influence, which means it, they are very difficult to splash, but also they're moderately difficult to play even in two-color decks. Um, so you kind of... It, the, the harder your main colors are to play, the less you are able to add a splash color and also 
just there's a very low volume of, of cards to help you enable splashes. In, in set five, around 40% of the cards that were splashed were multicolor, which is, I mean, there were, there were some multicolor cards, but there weren't like an amazing amount of multicolor cards in set five. Uh, and there are just basically no multicolor cards anymore in, uh, in the set six format. So that's probably something that's causing splashing to be uh, a little less as well. Uh, and if you want, there's a, there's a lot more conclusions about this. I'm going to keep this short for the podcast format, but you can take a look at the, uh, the, my, my sheets, the last sheet in each format has cards, uh, a dedicated page for cards, people splash and some conclusions in there. Uh, definitely take a look at that and let me know what you think. Uh, do you guys have any, uh, feedback on like whether you've splashed in the past, how you've been successful what you've done to make that work. Like clearly don't splash memory dredger. People are trying to do that. <laughs> don't don't splash cards that are heavy influence are only good early in the curve. But this, when we look at the successful cards, we're, we're seeing a lot of support uh, in the power base and the spells to, to enable it. And that's basically the main point I wanted to make. Yeah, I think if you want to splash in this format, you either have to get incredibly lucky finding the right insignias or seats um, to enable that, or basically be in time, because time has two enablers, one at common, one at uncommon, with Herbalist and the Bulbous Humbug to help you for potential splash. Otherwise, I would try and stay away from it. It also ties back to what I said earlier with going with decks with uh, higher power bases, because like Ben said, most of the good cards in this format are double influence. And if you run a greedy power base like 16 power and you have an, like a an 9-7 split, like the color that only has 7 influence, you will have trouble sometimes playing your double influence card in your main color then as well, which you don't have that much trouble if you're running the 18 power base. And for that reason we are seeing a, a, a reasonable number of things like seek power even in uh even yeah, in two color decks because things like uh, like minotaur plate maker moonstar and vanguard they're relatively influence intensive um i was wondering so is there an upper limit of seek powers you would run in a two color deck like three right because that gets you your 18 power and you play your 15 minimum once you start going above that you're playing more like 19 power than in your deck, which is a little too much. What do you think? Uh, depends a bit. If if you have a deck that wants spells, I would be fine running more than that potentially. Like if you can get additional value out of casting seed power, like if you have like an initiation bell, bell or a spell strike sorceress or can enable your Kosur curator to swing in with the seed power or trigger your Wormstone. Wormstone. Like if you have a lot of those cards, then... Uh, Maybe run an extra seek power because it not only fixes your power but generates additional value for you on your board. Mm -hmm. Then yeah. I would be fine with that. But uh, in a format where you also want to play coins, which are depleted, and seek power is in essence also depleted power, I'd be hesitant to put to put too many in that because depleted power comes at a cost. Okay. Yeah, and I don't think we have seen more than three. I think that is just. Um because people are taking the cards they're not available like <laughs> that yeah. seek powers in the curated <laughs> packs it's one of the it's the only uh multicolor five color fixer for any color so it's in high demand but some people are getting them in, in two or three copies so 
Okay, well, and then to key off the other thing you said, so if you played three Seek Power, you would only put 15 power in your deck? I think that's reasonable. Seek Power is basically a power. It it uh, helps you on the redraws mm-hmm. because uh, you can... Well, it helps you when you draw two power with the redraws, which are where you need the most help, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it hurts you a little bit on the four power redraws, but uh, I think it's fairly easy to translate it directly into a power. Mm-hmm. You can fit it in. The redraw system really uh, doesn't punish you too much and rewards you in some cases. What do you think, man? Do you basically cut a, cut a power for every seek power? Depends a bit on my curve. If I have a very high curve, I usually also run a bit more power, even with seek power in my deck. Because yeah, while yeah. you can count seek power as a power, you are essentially drawing two power out of your deck if you draw a seek, right? If you count yeah. it as strict power. And uh, if you have a lot of five and six drops, I would usually, even for like two or three seeks, run 16 to 17 power as well, instead of the 15. Oh, I, I totally agree with like 16 plus two, maybe 16 plus three. Yeah. Yeah. Seventeen plus two. That's that's reasonable. But I wouldn't do like seventeen plus three. Yeah, that's probably a bit too much. Unless you are splashing uh Chen of the Tempest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one that's definitely one that we've seen a lot of success with. I guess I just get more nervous about the thinning the thinning when I have like big units. So I'm always for the first one I always consider it a power, but once I have two or three, I consider it just like half a power and kind of do my math from that. It, it doesn't really... So the deck thinning is not really a thing. If you're a, a veteran magic player, people talk about fetch lands and how they thin your deck, and there you have to pay life to do it. Yeah. Uh, here you pay like cards in your deck, but like the odds that you draw the... Whatever power you drew is the top power in your deck is very low like one in 15 or something at the time so like it'll matter in a really long game but then it's somewhat beneficial in a really long game so because you don't want to get to you typically don't want to get to the extremely high power counts so i wouldn't worry too much about about the so uh any other conclusions or things you wanted to say about that yeah, we, we talk about, if you're interested in this, look at the sheet. We talk about uh, the rarity of cards that get splashed, the types of cards that get splashed. There's some good conclusions in there. but All right, so let's go on to our main topic, which we'll start with um, talking to Mom about this format and himself. So, Mom, oh who are you? Who am I? Oh, we are getting existential right away. <laughs> I'm an eternal draft streamer. I stream exclusively drafts, uh, usually five to six days a week, the whole week, and then one day on the weekends, usually Sundays off for my church time. And then, um, yeah, we do a lot of drafts, more or less successfully. I have a great community there. If you want to check it out, it's man underscore und underscore mouse at twitch.tv. Um, so great community, lots of fun people hanging around, and uh, yeah, we usually have a good time. Yeah, on stream, I do, drafting I, nonsense. I do think the draft community is pretty good in Eternal. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. It's really good. It's the best so far I've experienced. Man's chat is just excellent. A lot of extremely good players. Very very good attitudes. Um, high level play, and from the chat, obviously. Uh, so. What is your card game background? Do you have any? Uh, it's pretty small, actually. I've played some Hearthstone, mainly Arena, a bit of competitive constructed, 
but uh, it was very negligible, like less than a year before I moved to Eternal. I got tired basically of Hearthstone and went through the Reddit salt mines that are the uh, Hearthstone uh, forums. And somebody pointed out Eternal was worth checking out. I did, and uh, I never looked back. But your, so your experience in Hearthstone kind of got you hooked enough on card games to want to go straight to another card game? Um, I played some Magic, but very, very long time ago, back when 4th edition was a thing, like uh, when I was 16, so, oh boy, 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> but that was just a bit of messing around, playing playing dirty decks with my friends, like nothing too, too special. And um, yeah, basically, I, I enjoyed Hearthstone for a while and I immensely enjoy Eternal that uh, I'm happily I'm I'm content playing card games for now. It's really fun. So Ben, you had a few questions about this format for. Mom. Oh, sh- sure, sure. So um, one of the things I'm sure that a lot of people struggle with, myself included, is you open up some kind of first pick, good card, uh, a cloud slick matriarch or a plate maker or something like that. How do you? And then the the draft like doesn't follow a path where that's the best card or the best color for you to be playing. How do you avoid getting uh, locked into your first picks? Uh, what are, what are some like techniques or methods that you use to uh, to not have your blinders on? We see a lot of people, drafters especially, say, "Well, I'm in this color, so I'll take this card," and I I think that doesn't work out too well for them sometimes. No. And I know it doesn't work out well for me at all uh, <laughs> when I've done that. So can you share anything about how you approach this? Yeah, I think that is one of the, the biggest pitfall traps in drafting, getting married to your first pick, um, especially if it's a really good card. But I usually try and consider myself not in a color for at least the first pack. Like I, I usually start out a draft like at least for the couple seven or eight picks, I just pick the best card that is in the pack and try to get an idea um, what colors are open. If they do align with my first pick, then good. If not, then you sometimes have to bite the bullet and just say, okay, I would love to play this plate maker, but shadow and fire are clearly open. So um, I will be happy with picking my shift stone there and move into another color. Uh, I've been thinking um, about actually like hiding my first pick uh, yeah. in, in the sideboard, like, and then just a- approaching the deck again. Have you like? It's just so it's so, so uh, distracting to me to be like, well, I'll I'll take this card. So I'm, I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're in the same boat to some extent, and that you have some strategies there. Um, um, one thing I like to add though is. It also depends on the quality of the card you have first picked and how good it is. Like sometimes the card is that good that you might want to pick some cards that are not as good as those in other colors and other colors that would be open. But the card on its own can just win your game. So it might be worth uh, forcing at least this one color so you can play that card. Like if you open like a Xenon Obelisk or a Diesel's Office. Or like a Moonstone Vanguard, like cards that are so good that they might just win you the game on their own. 
you might want to consider maybe forcing it, but usually the power level of the rares and legendaries are not that high actually in this format that you should go out of your way to make them work or to, to, to force yourself into a color that is not open. The data definitely supports that. We don't have very many cards that are like super high uh, in the rare department for win yeah. rate. There are a few, like like you say, Moonstone Vanguard, and so that's that's really good. What one thing that I see you doing on stream that uh, I personally agree with and haven't had a chance to talk uh, about on the show is uh, you pass a lot of smugglers, uh, pick one, pack one, and that's something yeah. that I think the like. I watch other streamers and they're like windmill swamming the the smugglers or the the merchants. Can you talk a little bit about your uh, why you take a different approach there than than most people? I think my biggest advantage there is that I do not suffer from constructed bias. I play very <laughs> yeah. little constructed and where merchants are excellent or smugglers. Uh, in draft, they are not that great. First of all, as a first pick, they require you to be in two colors straight off the bat, which is not where you want to be starting off a draft, especially in a format where um, splashing is really tough and you want to stay ideally one color for the first pack in general, if you can afford to, so you can, so you don't get screwed in the uh, second and third pack. And in general, like merchants, First of all, the new merchants don't have that great of a stat line. Like the body, like a 2-2 lifesteal was a fine body or 2-1 double damage. Like you could play this card just for their body and get some value. Just like a 3-2 that sometimes gives you an Aegis. It's right. not that big of a deal. And in this format, you also are not drowned in playable cards, right? Oftentimes <laughs> you end up scraping for playables anyway that you will barely find to pick good cards that you will be able to pick good cards for your market. And to some extent, it also depends on the color the merchants are in, because some colors have potentially better market cards than others, right? Like Fire comes to mind with like Cloud of Ash or Dustblind, or maybe Primal with Death from Above that are high impact cards in certain situations that you don't usually want to main deck. Yeah, mm-hmm. smugglers especially are pretty awkward because you can't put uh, power in your market, which is one of mm-hmm. the m- most powerful uh, options. And yeah. also, you have to not be playing any... Like, you draft three copies of a card, you don't want to play three copies, you have to choose between either zero copies in one of the market, or you don't get to use that as a market card. So yeah, the, the mechanic doesn't really support that too well yeah so like this stone scar smuggler is just like a three two with shift three which is kind of not yeah, great that's, that's the weirdest and... one definitely yeah <laughs> yeah it is unblockable i guess but yeah is there anything else you'd like to say about smuggler? I, we did have one the the last list i put in the sheet had a uh, a merchant from the curated packs and the market was a heist and a uh sigil that was the market and I think yeah. that just shows you like the the playable count and like the limitations that are that are placed on you in the in the draft portion. That's yeah, for sure. exactly. I'm usually happier picking a merchant because, like you said, you can oh, put yeah, power yeah. in your market. And at worst, they are like an Ember Acolyte, slightly worse Ember Acolyte yeah. um, that can draw you a, a power if need be or pick up some 
some some fridge playable that turn turn one of your powers late game into at least something remotely useful. So yeah, they, I think the merchants are generally a better choice. Uh, you you draft more than uh, anyone I would say on Twitch. Like no, and I think Cassandrith and Cosimo they are. Uh, at is least Cosimo on Twitch? On par. Uh, Cosimo is not on Twitch, that's true. Oh, yeah. yeah, Cosimo does a great job of beating me. Uh, yeah. So, so <laughs> is there anything you'd like to say about the uh, the draft ratings? I've heard you talking about the the rankings on on your stream recently and about how it certainly the evidence seems to support that there's decay and you have a, a project going this next month to maybe reverse engineer some of their system. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to say about that? Take a look at that. I think last Friday's stream was a very good example of how the ranking system is a bit weird, especially later in the month and if you have done a lot of drafts. So on Friday, we went, um, I think, with a 71.5 win percentage over five drafts, I think, which for a card game, I think, is respectable. And as a result of that, we lost 110 ranks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, so, I believe you said you're basically the 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 last place person. You you determine what the how many people have made masters based on your rank. Basically, yeah. <laughs> basically, everyone is above you, and I, I think that's that's basically proof that you you play the most. Um, but so you have a project going this next month to try and uh, gather some some data on this. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people already uh, offered their their help for that in the data gathering. So the plan is next month I will play a second account to Masters, try to park it somewhere in the higher ranks of Masters and only play it once uh, rank decay sets in or it loses a couple of ranks. So I will do um, only a few games on it compared to my, my, my usual drafting. And um, see, at the end of the month I will compare the amount of games played, the win percentage, and uh, the the ranking of the opponents faced with my main account, and see since they are both piloted by me, the the win percentage should be uh, roughly the same, probably a bit higher or lower on the account that has fewer games played, since variance will have a higher impact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they should be roughly comparable, and then we'll see how big the difference in the rank is. My suspicion with it is that my second account will rank much higher than my main account will by the end of the month. Yeah, I would I would expect that for sure. It are you looking for any additional contributors? Are you how should people help if they if they can? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Cassandrith and Kalevovich already offered to contribute. So we're basically doing a spreadsheet that records the date of the games played, opponent's rank, um, the, if you win, won or lost, the start and finishing rank of the day, as well as the uh, rank change for every individual game. And by the end of the month, we will try and sift through the data and see what uh, conclusions we can we can draw from it. So anybody that is willing can uh, absolutely do one of these spreadsheets on their own and maybe send it to me by the end of the month and then we'll have more data and maybe more evidence that um, something is a bit awry or with the uh, draft ranking system. 
Yeah, I think I think there's no doubt that there's something wrong with it. Um, but this will be a great way to like quantify the effect, and we'll we'll put a link to uh, to something in the in the show notes, most likely about this. Uh, I'll oh, put yeah. a link in sweet. Page. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say about the uh, the format specifically? We'd love to to pick your brain on like what what do you think about primal? I think that's one of the big uh, the big questions people have. Yeah, like it seems like it's very easy to get into primal and then get cut. Uh, <laughs> do you have any uh, insight on uh, why that might be happening? I think primal faces uh, a variety of problems, really. Um, for one, it has excellent uncommon, so it's easy to get baited into primal. If you see like a lightning strike, cloud sync, matriarch, or a keen saddleback, you are uh, very happy to pick them early. But the quality of commons in primal is leaves is very subpar compared to the other colors, and um, as well as the um, the depth of primal in the curated packs is also pretty. Pretty mediocre if you compare it to like fire, justice, or time, and even shadow. Uh, it's really at the absolute end of quality. Um, another problem I think in this format that is not that obvious is that Primal has a bit of a split identity in this format. Like if you look at the uh, early creatures Primal has, it's like Scaly Gruen and Camp Surveyor, Surveyor, the uh, one-four shift one four, yeah. that that, uh, that scouts for you. So the early game units are pretty pretty defensively statted, but then your all your removal that you have access to in Flyer is, is defensive as well, but then when you come to the late game, you want to have big creatures on the board. Um, like if you look at Dragunder, the five yeah. power double yeah, primal yeah. spell that with warp, uh, yeah. with warp yeah, that deals damage equal to the highest attack. Yeah, that's a o- very awkward card I've, I've found. Yeah, it, it is very awkward because if you compare that to Eviscerate or Gundown, which are equally five uh, costed. Uh, it's much harder to make work, and I don't think the warp makes up for the fact that uh, you sometimes just deal one or two with it for a five power spell. That is just not uh, that it is uh, just not acceptable. But then, if you look at some of the other primer cards, they are very tempo focused, right? You have like um, flash freeze and fend off, uh, like these stun effects that are excellent if you are ahead on the board and push your uh, want to push your advantage like flash freeze might be one of the best removal spells in the game if the game ends in the next two turns basically right. because then you just remove two units for three power permanently in a sense uh, which is excellent but they don't go really well with whatever prime is doing in their first couple of turns right because if you play a scaly gruen and a camp survey on turn two and three you are unlikely going to be in a position that uh, <laughs> yeah can make great use of <laughs> tempo spells you get your four damage in, and then their units are back. Uh, that's not exactly where you want to be. Yeah. You, so is it a uh, support color then? Like yeah. it's a little awkward as a support color because a lot of the good cards are uh, double uh, yeah. influence. But should you be pairing it with like fire, for example, and get some high attack units to use with your drag downs or or drag under? Sorry. Yeah, I think it's a support color, and it has a good toolbox to support either aggressive or late-game-oriented strategies, right? Like, Dragunder is fine if you are basically an Elysian and you have some some big units on the board. Suddenly, your 5-power removal spell, while not being great, um, gets some work done, as well as the uh, 
the ferocity of the bear, the uncommon that gives two of your units killer. That card Suddenly, seems very good, but not not for the primal units. So, like you were saying, yeah, it's before. not good for the primal units. It's good for um, for either some quick draw units you have in fire, or for your big time guys that uh, can just eat a bunch of uh, your opponent's creatures. There, it's very good, and if you pair it with fire or justice, and uh, maybe get one or two good flyers, and then a bunch of tempo spells of the primal, as well as a lightning strike to make racing easier. Then Primal is also fine, but in general, it doesn't do the support better than other colors, I think. I, I think you can get the same tempo advantage or defensive value that uh, with other colors in a more efficient way than Primal does. Right, you could do Lightning Strike, or you could do uh, Streets of Flame or something. Yeah, or uh, Streets of Flame, <laughs> exactly. And one of those allows you to be more aggressive than the other, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's also less dangerous to be supported by fire than... There's a much smaller chance of getting s screwed if your fire's your support color than if primal's your support color. Yeah. As far as not seeing the cards you need, I think. Right. It, the color better be deep. Wh whatever you choose to pair, pair with primal if you're if you're going to do that, because... Like we've talked about before, the, the playable count's not huge in the set, mm -hmm. and uh, you you can't pair primal with something and and not get a lot of cards out of that something, uh, because otherwise you're going to be playing three threes for three or uh, some other perhaps subpar cards. So now that we know what's cool. not working, um, do you have any thoughts about what has been working for you, Mom? Uh, I think this format is actually pretty wide in terms of viable strategies. I think you can draft aggressive decks in most colors as well as mid to late game oriented strategies. I think in general this format, as long as you are not that deep into primal, is perfectly fine with all approaches you can take to a card game really. Like I've seen big comrade decks or big armor decks do work as well as low to the ground, Stone Scar, Rakano strategies, or even sometimes Comrade, be very aggressive. Uh, I wouldn't, it's quite hard to say what is the best approach. Really, I wouldn't even say there is a best approach. I've seen all, all strategies be reasonably successful. One question I had is, you know, you can look at a format in two ways, kind of like what, what you've just been saying, where our aggressive strategies are mid-range or sort of late game strategies more effective. But then there's also the different synergy aspects of this format. And is that something that you're drafting towards? Like, are you trying to draft like a warp a warp deck or a scout deck or a spells matter deck? Or is that just like a, a side thing? Or like you might get a few cards that work well together, but you're not really crafting a deck around it. I've tried to go deep on the various synergies um, it rarely does work out. I think the most viable one is the armor deck, because I found relic weapons to be very strong in this format. A lot of units, apart unless you are facing time, a lot of units don't have uh, are are pretty small. So getting a two for one out of your mithril mace is not uncommon. And if you can somehow buff it with a tinker apprentice or camo's blueprint, or get an extra swing out of it with uh, some armor gain you usually will pull very far ahead on board. Um, so I found the armor decks to be performing reasonably well. 
other than that, I think going on to try and make a specific strategy work is very risky. Like warp is fine if it's on a unit, because you will always be able to, as long as you have the power, just warp in the unit and get some value off of that. That's fine. Spells are usually more situational. Like you can't really put too many warp spells in your deck. I mean, you can, but you can't really expect to warp them every time they are on top of your deck and get the value off of them. So I, I've tried to do that with like Trickster Mage and going into Time Primal and just uh, <laughs> have all the nonsense warp cards in the deck. It, it usually doesn't work out. Spells matters, I think, can be drafted, but that is more of a side thing. Like if I pick up a lot of good spells, I'm happy to include like a spell strike sorceress or a coastal diplomat in my deck, but I usually don't try to go all in on it. I'd rather have like a well-rounded deck that maybe has some internal synergies going for it as well. The four 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 that can't attack, like the fail the fail case on that is a little better than the yeah. time one one for emerge creatures where you're playing a one one for three. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you're playing a little more of the. Uh, payoff cards that are kind of okay, like Wormstone or whatever doesn't need a ton of support. You're going to play some spells. That's, yeah. that's sort of an attitude rather than the spell strike sorceress. Yeah, exactly. I'm if I I usually try and pick up spell strike sorceress when I'm in pack four, right? If I already know what my deck is trying to do, mm-hmm. and then uh, if I have like ten spells in my deck and see a spell strike sorceress, I'm I'm very happy to include one of them or maybe even two in my deck. But it's certainly not one I would look for in the first pack. Would having a couple of them um, change how you build the deck? Would you add more spells and lower your unit count? That's hard to say. Probably not. Because you don't want to go too deep on those synergies, on those cards that really need those synergies, right? With the Coastal Curator, you at least get a 4-4 wall that does a reasonable job at defense. With a spell strike sorceress, if you don't find at least two spells to go there, you get a subpar unit out of the deal. Like if you don't have a spell to trigger it, you get a one-one for three, which is not where you want to be. Unless there are some high-powered card like the Locust Hatcher. Like for a card like that, I would be willing to include like maybe one or two more spells to make it work because the payoff is uh, is there. Mm-hmm. You have done things in the draft phase, like you you maybe prioritized lingering influence, the oh, yeah. power for green, or things like that, where they're they're relatively reasonable cards uh, that you'd value a little higher because you have some spell synergies. Oh yeah, absolutely. If I know I have some spell synergies, certain cards go up and down in my ranking. Like I would be happy to play lingering influence or pick up like an herbalist a bit higher since it can create a spell for you further down the road. Like for these, it certainly changes my my evaluation of cards slightly depending on what uh, kinds of synergies I have in my deck. And do you find that in general, so are you playing about the same 17, 18, 19 unit account in, or unit count in this format as it was in the last format or has the, has the ratios of units to spells to power changed? I think it has tilted a bit towards spells. Like the 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 unit to spells ratio is a bit higher than it was before, mainly because in the previous format you oftentimes also included relics. You had a lot of relics or attachments in your in your decks, like weapons. 
Mm-hmm. Um, those has, have gone down significantly, leaving you with more space to uh, include spells in your deck. Like I've played sp- decks with uh, like 17 units and um, 14 spells and a weapon, something like that, which is uh, very high, very high spell count. Yeah, there's not a lot of like aggressive weapons. There's most of the weapons in this format are like twist enablers and like one yeah. twos for three, that sort of thing. So it's a little harder to get your aggressive value out of that. So maybe we're turning to spells a little more, and that's powering up the cards like detain, like you. Is that boot any good? The, the boot? one the draw boot knife. Oh, yeah. I I don't know. I haven't played it yet. It was played once against me, and it was um, underwhelming. I was wondering, someone played it against me and actually got a two-for-one out of it. I don't remember the exact situation, but... And then I was like, am I missing something on this card? Because it just seems awful, so I'm glad to know that. I've been thinking about how to make this card work. Maybe if I have, like, two Tinker Apprentice, two Camus Blueprints in my deck, and I can make it into a 3-3 Quick Draw weapon, maybe yeah. we get there. But the Quick Draw is also still only for one turn, right? So I think oh, really? getting a... Oh, oh yeah, nice. it's only the turn you play it. <laughs> so uh, uh... getting more than a 2-for-1 is probably a bit much to ask there. Probably for good reason. There was the card, uh, what is it called? Like back in set one, there was the card, I think it was Auric Revolver. Uh, it was a six, five or six power, two, two quick draw weapon, basically. Oh, which yeah. Which was terrible in most cases, but when it was good, it was really good. It was game breaking. Like yeah, if you had a bunch of good. units out there that were vulnerable to it and you couldn't break the board stall, your opponent would just pick up three, four units of yours and you would be. Absolutely devastated. So I can see why they're a bit cautious with quick draw and redic weapons because it's game breaking if it's good. Mm-hmm. But apart from boot knife, I think uh, redic weapons are in a in a very good spot in this format. I tend to pick them more highly than in, in other formats in general. I also am not too unhappy to run three, maybe four, even depending mm-hmm. on my deck. What about the two cost uh, one three that gives you three armor? This one I haven't found too great of a use to uh, actually pick off units, but it's a it's a good onslaught enabler if you really need it. Like I've seen a lot of opponents doing playing this on two and then uh, basically just triggering onslaught with it mm. for like one or two turns. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting use case for that. Maybe if you get lucky with illicit armaments, then you can make a good use out of it. All right, so I think that's a, that's a pretty good uh, pick-your-brain segment from Mum there. All right, so shall we go to the draft? The uh, one thing I want to make sure that we say before we start the draft portion, like I said, the, the draft is in on my Twitch stream, uh, Ben Grasher, but we also have, we'll have the images available to look at if you want to like, see what we're talking about as we go through these. So that'll be in the show notes as well. Yeah, that's a, a big promise there, Ben. So this is uh, Ben's draft from the um, Draftmasters Challenge. And so pack one, pick one. Cards in contention. There's a Pearl Abbey, which is the Cambrai Smuggler. So three Cambrai, two one. When you play a spell, Pearl Abbey gets plus one, plus one. There's a Stronghold Vandal, which is the two fire, three one, shift three, kill an enemy attachment. There's a left ride dire beast, the three shadow three three life steal shift four. Give one of 
your other units lifesteal until Lethri Dire Beast emerges. There's a Razor Quill and a Corrupted Behemoth. Ben, what did you take? I was certain... The, the thing I knew I didn't want to take was the Pearl Abbey Smuggler, for the reasons we discussed mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, and I'm glad that I had this pick in, <laughs> in the top 64. I've made this several times uh, in the past. So I knew I wasn't going to take that. Uh, I think the best cards... Like, I understand I, I uh, under-evaluate Razor Quill. I think that's a card that I should be picking more than I'm picking now, but I think Dire Beast is better, probably. Yeah. 3-3 uh, three, three Lifesteal for 3 is just really good, and the shift effect is good. Uh, and then the card I took was Corrupted Behemoth. I'm not sure about this. Uh, Corrupted Behemoth is just a really big guy, and I like time uh, quite a lot. It's I feel like it's much deeper than Shadow, so I think I took a hit in card quality here to be in a color I thought was better, and I don't know whether that decision was correct or not. Uh, what do you think, guys? I think, personally, I would have picked the the Dire Beast here. Um, while Shadow is not that deep, I would agree, uh, Dire Beast is one of the best three drops in the game, especially if you expect aggressive decks, right? Every time I play yeah. an ag- aggressive deck and my opponent drops these, I... I need to get this off the board, right? Because suddenly racing is not an option anymore. And um, even later on in the game, if they have one big unit and they shift this in to give their big guy lifesteal, uh, racing is just completely off the table. So that's a very high impactful card, especially if you expect uh, aggressive decks. Uh, while Corrupted Behemoth, I would argue, is one of the best time commons and certainly one of the best to stabilize the board, it is somewhat replaceable. Because there are a lot of good five drops around, right? In time, you get the uh, Awakened Sentinel. Is it Awakened Sentinel? The Warp One, the three five endurance. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, for yeah. five, yep. you get this guy. If you pair it with uh, with with Justice, you have Roosted Warhawk, or maybe a Steel Legion. If you get lucky, if you pair it with Fire, you have Redding Sergeant. Like there are a lot of high impact five drops in the format. While that is not necessarily true for your three drop slot. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think there's a lot of threes as well. But uh, I, I do think that this was this yeah. is something where I can easily see going the other direction here. I mean, there are a lot of threes, but very few of them have such a unique oh, effect yeah, yeah. like the Dire Beast. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. This is at the, the top of the heap there. You definitely agree with not no uh, Pearl Abbey Smuggler here? Yeah, I think first picking Pearl Abbey Smuggler is too much of a gamble. Mm-hmm. But would you consider this one of the stronger smugglers? Yeah, I think it's the strongest by yeah, far. Yeah, that's the thing that's, I think, hard, especially with the Pearl Abbey one, is because you can just imagine it being so dominating. But the fact that it's multicolor is, you know, I think, lead you away from it. So the other question I wanted to ask you guys, this is not totally related, but uh, Ruben and I were having this argument in the last episode. Um, so Corrupted Behemoth or Devotee of Sand? Which one would you pack one, pick one? Personally, I would pick uh, Devotee first. Mm-hmm. Devotee and is then, the, uh, the yeah. one three that gives you a power. Yeah, definitely. Because the Devotee, the effect is unique in, in the way that it accelerates your power. And having like two or three Devotees enables you to be to, to pick all those late game units and, and play them reliably, right? If it's now a Corrupted Behemoth or a Steel Legion or some kind of Tremor Shocker 
or any kind of big guys there are, they they do a pretty similar job while the effect of devotee is not replaceable easily. Also, like one three for two is not a bad stat line. There's a lot yeah. of uh, two twos for two and although I've often or whatever. Yeah, often find myself shifting it in if yeah. I really need the power. I don't want it to be uh, to be engaging in any kind of combat if I if I know I want to play a four or five drop in the next two turns. Yeah, I think that's actually always. I don't know how actually consequential it is, but it always feels like a really tough decision on turn two, uh, whether you shift that in or not. Do you have one way you lean more, or is it really just dependent on? Your it, it's fully dependent on my hand. Like if I have hand, a three right? drop yeah. in hand and a fourth power, for example, like if I have a third and a fourth power and I have a three drop and a four drop in hand, I just play it out because even if it dies, my curve will not get hit that much because I can still curve out. If I have a power and a five drop in hand and only one more power, I will definitely shift it in to make sure nothing bad happens to my little guy. All right, so let's go to uh, pack one, pick two. And remember, Ben has Corrupted Behemoth, and then our alternate world, uh, we have the Dire Beast. Yeah. So we'll see if that changes anything as we go forward for these next few picks. So cards in contention. There's the... Cloud Snake Matriarch, uh, which is the six primal primal five four flying warp. When you warp a card, including Cloud Snake Matriarch, draw a card. There is a stained honor, which is the two shadow one three. Your twist abilities cost one less to use. There's a crooked alley guide, which is the three shadow three two with us scout and shift one. And there's a submerged titan which is the three-time 1-1 one, one that gets bigger as you play units with Shift 4. And so, Ben, what did you take here? I took the Cloud Snake Matriarch, and I don't know. It's it's. I think this is the most powerful card in the pack, and the person in front of me didn't take this card, at least. So that's an argument for doing it. In retrospect, I'm leaning a little bit more towards the shadow cards here because I just I've done several drafts since this top 64, and it's just reinforcing my mild dislike, let's say, of of uh, primal. And I think stained honor is pretty good as a two drop, and crooked alley guide has been very good in my aggressive decks. Not it's not as good as some of the other options like the three four. Um, reckless guy and fire mm -hmm. but I think they're better than the other options here like I, I, I put submerged titan in cards in contention just to show basically that I'm not going to take it because uh, <laughs> that's the, the best time card here I think um, Yeah. so I, I took the cloud snake matriarch I didn't really want to do it I still don't really want to do it, <laughs> but I did it anyway. Uh, and I'm interested to hear what you guys would do. I think it's a lot easier to take a shadow card if our first pick was a shadow card. Yeah. But then we're getting into that discussion we had before about the uh, first pick stuff. I personally, I uh, would have picked the Crooked Alley Guide here, especially if I first picked the, uh, the Dire Beast. Because it's yeah. just a solid curve unit. And if I first pick the Dire Beast, I also would be less likely to pick the Matriarch here. For sure, yeah. Putting myself in Fallon, I don't think was uh, was a good strategy. So um, yeah, 
considering I would have picked first picked Diabetes here, I would have had a res relatively easy time to go with the uh, alley guide here, I think. Over Even, the stained honor. Yeah, I don't think stained honor guard is a, or stained honor is a particularly good card. Hmm. Like the stat line one That's three is fine, nothing good. But uh, I don't think I've ever played with that card yet, and I've never missed it in any of my, in any of my decks. That's interesting. I mean, I guess because the Crooked Alley Guide always does have the Shift 1 mode, but the yeah. fact that um, Stained Honor is a two-cost unit is appealing to me, and maybe that's making me over-evaluate the card, just because I feel like two-cost units are a, are a bit harder to come by now. Yeah, but even... Then I wouldn't pick like subpar one drops if I don't absolutely have to write that. If I'm scraping for two drops later on in the draft, I would pick it here probably just to have a two drop. Mm -hmm. But Shadow also is a pretty good two drop in the uh, Angry Prophet. I think the card is quite good. Mm -hmm. And um, we still don't know if we first pick the Diabetes, we know we probably want to be in Shadow. We don't know what our second color is. And usually the other colors have pretty decent two drop options as well. And then the uh, other interesting thing is, uh, Ben, we didn't mention this in Cards of Contention, but there is an Oni Patrol, which is the <laughs> one fire, two, one, onslaught, plus one, plus one. No, don't make me. So I, I regret all of my decisions from the past uh, draft from last week. Like, I, I, I like Oni Patrol. I like being Stone Scar, but... It's not a card. It's I don't want that to be my first fire card. I want to take like the three four reckless or a removal spell or Blurry something Chaser. along those lines. Yeah. Blurry Chaser. Yeah. There's like there's so many good cards, and Oni Patrol I would say is more more closer to the background rate than the the multiple cards fire has that are quite a lot higher than the background rate. So I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to derail myself here with uh, Oni Patrol thinking that that's some kind of signal. Yeah, I do agree on that. Okay, and so and Fire's not something that, you know, because people are talking about Fire being one of the best colors. It, it's not to the level that we have to force it. It's also no. a bit dangerous with Fire because it's really hard to read signals when it comes to Fire in this format because Fire is so deep. You might get past two or three good Fire cards, and still might get cut on fire later on because the, the packs are so deep on good fire cards that it's really hard to identify early if fire is an open color or not. That's definitely true. That is a good point. The uh, point about the dangers of being in a uh, deep color. Yeah. And then the last thing that uh, we wanted to mention is that, you know, the Cloud Snake Matriarch is, I mean, you read it and you're like, this is obviously a a very powerful card but it's actually not doing as well as one would think in our seven win deck lists either yeah. right ben yeah so like you can say to yourself well there's less primal decks and even with that accounted for there are 50 uncommons that are more represented in the seven win lists this is in in primal as well there's like multiple primal uh, uncommons that are better. There's 50 uncommons better than Cloud Snake, Ma Cloud Snake Matriarch, even considering that Cloud Snake Matriarch is a blue card and there's not very many blue decks. Yeah, That's that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's something I would have expected. You'd look at this card and say, this is like, people were, I, I watch streams and people say this should be a rare yeah. because, you know, it's a 5-4 
the flyer that draws you a card and draws you even more cards. But it just it's not performing for whatever reason. And I think yeah. that it's very expensive, that it's in primal is really hurting it here. Yeah. When I first saw this card, I remember my reaction, uh, seeing it was an uncommon. I was completely yeah. shocked that this card would be printed at an uncommon. But now in the context of the set, it's uh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. actually say you would probably be saving people a lot of train wrecks if this was a rare. Probably, yeah. yeah. All right. So now pack one, pick three. Ben has Corrupted Behemoth and Cloud Snake Patriarch um, in his deck. And uh, Mom has two shadow cards. So keep that in mind. And cards in contention. There's a second Cloud Snake Matriarch in this pack. Uh, there is a War Wagon, which is the three Justice Justice, three, three, shift, give one of your other units plus three, plus three until War Wagon emerges. There's the Still Weave Shroud, the three time plus one, plus two weapon with silence an enemy unit on summon. Um, there is a Quicksilver Ooze. In time, there's also the Displaced Arachnidon. The only shadow card is a boot knife. So, Ben, what did you take? Well, I I just did take a, a Cloud Snake Matriarch. I I thought for a long time about this card, about having two Cloud Snake Matriarchs, because then that's twice as good. Uh, but I have a five drop and a six drop already. Am I going to take another six drop? I just... I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And maybe I should have just taken the Cloud Snake Matriarch because I took the other Cloud Snake Matriarch. But I took, I, I did take the Ooze, I think. I kind of just didn't want to be in Primal. So I took the Time card for probably not an amazingly good reason. I think I'm going to get told that I should take War Wagon here, and I, uh, I understand that. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's basically coming back to what I said earlier, not caring that much about your earlier picks. Like I would at this look at this pack, I would have two shadow cards. I see the shadow card here is not good, and I would just look at the best card in the pack, and um, I would go with the war wagon here. Uh, I mean, cloud snake matriarch arguably is better in a vacuum, but yeah, yeah, it's, we are we're not playing this in a vacuum. The time cards <laughs> are fine, but uh, nothing too amazing. I think war wagon is. Uh, it's pretty strong. It's fine early as a curve unit, and it's really good later as a shift unit as well. And so you think there's no argument for the Still Weave sh Shroud? Where are you on that card, just in general? Um, I found it to be not that fantastic, usually. Uh, it, it's like a Dispel on a stick, uh, which is only really good because the stat line is defensive. You can't really push through units, usually, if you put a 1-2 weapon on it. Um, so... It's basically a silence that also enables some twists. So in some decks, it's a perfectly fine inclusion. Uh, I don't take it as highly as I used to. It's usually just the dispel it gets the job done. And um, I, I look for other ways to enable my twist that don't cost me a cut or up. If I had uh, Behemoth and Matriarch, you would still not take Matriarch here? You would still take uh, War Wagon? And that's tough. That With your first two picks, especially in time, I, if you were at Behemoth and Matriarch, I would pick probably the Matriarch here, because time has way to accelerate power, which is what you want to play six drops. So I think that's With true. your current pool, I would probably pick the Matriarch here. Pack one, pick four. Cards in contention. 
There is another steel weave shroud, the the three time weapon. There's a streets of flame, and then there's a, a peak top trekker, which is the three primal primal two two overwhelm. When you scout, peak top trekker gets plus two plus two. And then for shadow cards, there's the um, stone scar outfitter, which is the five shadow two three that gives your other units plus one as well as a shift four. There is a muck crawler, and for justice, there is uh, inner might, which is the three justice justice. Give one of your units plus one plus one plus an additional plus one plus one for each other spell in your void. With your deck of Quicksilver Ooze, Corrupted Behemoth, and Cloud Snake Matriarch, what did you take? Uh, I took Peaked Up Trekker. Uh, I think there's okay scout in those colors. It's a permanent bonus. Um, so I went with that. Uh, it is a little hard to cast. It is a primal card. Uh, so I think it's an okay pick given where I was at. But there's also a Streets of Flame here. I could get away from Primal right now if I wanted to. Uh, I don't really know why I didn't. But Picked Up Trekker is, is a card that historically, the, 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 this type of card is the type of card that I over overrate. Uh, because I envision the scenarios where I can get all of the scout and I'll have this huge overwhelm guy. I'm very open to the idea that I'm wrong here, even for my current situation. So, yeah, we're starting about a lot of timelines here. So with my deck, currently I would be, <laughs> uh, shadow, I would shadow, be need to take uh, a while to think here if I want the Outfitter or maybe the Streets of Flame. Um, I couldn't say now for sure. I would need to think about that a bit more. If we had picked the second Matriarch here, I would not pick the Tracker. I would pick the Stillweave Shroud here because I already have a Behemoth and two... Uh, Matriarch, so I have already a lot of win conditions, so now I'm looking for ways to either accelerate my power or stay alive early game, which still with Shroud is a fine two to do so. And that makes even, a lot with of your, sense. even with your current pool, I think I would still go for the Steelweave Shroud, because you already have Corrupted Behemoth and Ooze, which are both fine targets for the Steelweave Shroud, and um, it, it's a good card to prolong the game, so you have already Basically, Ooze can be sort of a win condition as well if you get it big enough. So, uh, Steel Reef Shroud is a fine contender here, while Peak Top Tracker is just another win condition that also needs more build around support. I, I agree. I didn't. I look at this card and I see a three drop, and you're looking at this card and seeing like a six drop or something in terms of, of yeah. what it does. And I think yeah. that that's very important to consider when looking at this card. Uh, that's not. That's not like how I would look at this uh, before this conversation. So that's really good. Yeah, I usually try to think of cards more like uh, like tools. What do they do for me in my deck, right? Rather than just maybe a curve unit. Um, I, I, I usually try and look for the purpose this card would, would fulfill in my deck. That makes a lot of sense. I think more people should do that, and I'm going to try and do that in the future. <laughs> All right, so uh, pack pack one, pick five, uh, cards in contention. So for you, there are no time cards in here. The primal cards are there's a warning jolt, which is the one primal, uh, deal one damage to each attacking unit, and a fend off and a yeti bully. And then justice cards, uh, there's another inner might, 
Um, there's a high alert, which is the four justice uh, warp ready one of your units. It gets plus three, plus three, and endurance this turn. There's a warfront missionary, and that's about it for cards in this pack. And so what did you take, Ben? Uh, let's see. <laughs> I took high alert because it's a card I could theoretically splash, whereas like these primal cards are just so terrible. So I'm not going to take a primal card. I can't take a time card. So I took a card that maybe I can play, and I think that's about as good as I could have done here. I'm not sure. Yeah, this is the first time where Ben and I agree. I would have also <laughs> snap pick that I learned. <laughs> <laughs> where there's just uh, there really is nothing else. Like maybe with a peak top tracker, we could consider a fend off here, since with peak top tracker in play, it's more like a combat trick in a sense. And the fact that it's so cheap, I think uh, fend off is one of the better primal commons, even if it's only quote unquote a stun effect. The fact that it's so cheap can uh, is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, my one question is if there was an argument for fend off because like you said you have the peak top tracker and then also um you know speaking of like trying to stay alive not that it helps a lot but it could keep you alive for a turn and get you much closer to to the big cards that you your late game that you have going so with your deck that was um when you were drafting i was kind of thinking or you know like maybe a fend off Ha, there's an argument for it here. Maybe that we had um, in the last format, we had the amplify stun spell, and a lot of the power of that was that you could cast it on one. Yeah. Uh, like obviously, a lot of it was you could cast it on seven and stun three things. Yeah. But the power was the flexibility. The okay, and then uh, pack one, pick six, uh, cards in contention. There's a devotee of sands, which is uh, the two time one three plus one power, shift two. Um, and there's a spell strike sorceress in justice. And those are about it as far as uh, good cards. I'm guessing you took the devotee of sands. Yeah, it's, I think it's quite a bit better than the, the sorceress. And the other cards are just, they're extremely bad, I would say. I think this yeah. is an easy one. Yeah, that's a pretty easy devotee. Mm -hmm. And would you still take the devotee of sand? here with your deck where you're mostly shadow and justice is it yeah. strong enough i would would have probably picked the outfitter uh, where it was against the streets of flame then in the upcoming pack i would definitely pick the high alert so i currently be in Archon port but i would notice that shadow is getting cut in the after the fourth pick here so yeah. that conf then in the next pack i see a really late devotee so i might consider moving into time here for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then so you might be thinking that you'd be could be ending up in Cambrai. For example, yeah. yeah. Cool. That's that's really interesting because I think a lot of people would take, if they were in your position, they would take the Spell Straight Sorceress because it's in their colors. Uh, it's maybe a speculative pick on Spells Matter or whatever, but you, you're going to take the, the Devotee there. That's, that's yeah, excellent Yeah, even with my start, I would yeah. pick the Devotee here. I think that just shows how much you're like fluid in what, what colors that you're looking for. That's really impressive. All right, so to close out that... I have, I have like three uh, good uh, time cards and three okay time cards. Yeah. And then I have a smattering of cards in uh, blue and uh, black and green. 
So yeah. like what my second color is is not uh, super decided here. And I, I knew that going into this pack. I, I was going to go into one of those colors probably, or maybe even re uh, red that I have no, no cards in, just because I don't have enough really to pull me in any one direction. Yeah, and your your primal cards are the best. Your justice cards aren't great, like you were saying, and your shadow card isn't great. But yeah. now we're going into uh, pack two, pick one. Cards in contention, there is a Xenon Obelisk, which is the four-time uh, relic that gives your units plus one, plus one, and plus two, plus two if you have eight or more maximum power. And then that's the obvious most strong card. There's also a fall, fall short, a worm stone, and a gun down in here. And I think you picked the Xenonopolisk, right? Yes, I had quite a bit of fun picking. So then pack two, pick two. Uh, cards in contention. There is a learned herbalist, mob roll, and the rare is a pillar of dreams, which is the five shadow shadow. When a unit goes to your void, your other units get plus one attack relic. And so what did you pick here? I I took the Learned Herbalist almost certainly here. I think that's probably right, given where I'm at. I have uh, one total two-drop currently. I could take the Mob Rule, but I don't have like a lot of units. And especially, I only have four units if I go into Shadow. So that makes me a little more skeptical of the Mob Rule. So I think Learned Herbalist works okay with my deck. I might have some sketchy power situations, or maybe I might have to enable a splash. I'm still thinking that that's the right pick, given where I'm at right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would agree as well. If I were in your shoes in that draft, I would also pick the the herbalist here for sure. If I would have went with my line, I would have had a hard time here deciding yeah. between Mopruel and Learned Herbalist. It's really hard to say. I would probably lean to the towards the mob rule but i wouldn't i couldn't say for certain that would be my pick here it's really close between these two probably given that i would have no interaction at this point apart from a high alert which by the looks of it i'm not going to be able to play i would probably pick the mob rule here mm -hmm. and is that true even given the fact that we felt like uh shadow was cut at the end you picked up a devotee of sand late and you now have a xenon obelisk i wouldn't be super worried because what i'm looking for is uh, since i know if i if i want to combine shadow with time uh, i know time has a lot of good units so i'm not too worried about picking up units just now i'm and we picked a lot of units in the first pack as well Mm -hmm. um, and Shadow has some excellent interaction in the uh, in the curated packs. They have more pool. They have uh, um, suffocate if you get lucky, or they have um, extract. So I would be I would be willing, I think, here to pick the more pool over the the herbalist. And just depending on your scenario of like how deep you are in Shadow, Justice, and Time, you'd be leaning to play two of those colors. Yeah, I would have also first picked the Obelisk, so that card strongly incentivizes me to be in time as well. That is one of the few rares, I think, that you really want to play since its effect is so powerful. So at this point, I would probably try and make a Xenon deck happen. All right, so uh, pack, uh, pack two, pick three, cards in contention. There is uh, Suffocate, which is the one shadow kill unit, three attack or less. There is a Grenadine Bellower, the two shadow, two one, in tomb. Your units get plus one. There's a Seek Power, 
There's a lightning strike, an advanced scout, and a death strike. And uh, Ben, do you remember what you picked? I remember that this is really hard because I was thinking, I, I don't have very many good green cards at this point. I haven't opened any new ones. I have some okay blue cards. So I was leaning between uh, Suffocate and Lightning Strike. Uh, they're both removal spells. I think this is one of the picks I took the longest on in the draft. There's also a Seek Power, uh, but I don't think I could take Seek Power here. I think I have to take either Suffocate or Lightning Strike. And I took the Suffocate, which shows that I'm willing to maybe not be in Primal for this uh, basically only Matriarch right now. In retrospect, I think the Suffocate's probably still the right pick. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of my first or second shadow card, so it's not great to pick a new color. But I think that's what I would go with. Interesting. I would have not even, if I were in your shoes, I don't think I would have spent much time on Suffocate here. I would be sad to probably pass it, but the cards I look at if I were in your colors at this point were Seek Power and Death Strike. Um, Death Strike mainly because Suffocate is the better card, but at this point I know I will be in time and I know ah. that Death Strike very likely will be in my deck, so... I would go probably for the safe route here and pick the Death Strike or the Seek Power. Although with the current setup, Seek Power doesn't look too amazing. Because yeah. the Primal cards are not splashable if we don't end up in, in Elysian. And the Justice cards currently are not worth splashing for. So I think in your shoes I would pick the Death Strike here. So you would value... More, I, I think I do need to take like a playable card here because I did, I'm going to be in a position where I don't have a lot of playable cards. Uh, so that's why I, I think the Seek Power is falling off a bit. Uh, yeah. So you, you're, you're, you're more solidifying in the thing that I know that I am rather than making a hard decision between two things that I'm not sure that I know yeah. that I'm in. I think that makes, that makes sense. Especially since the uh, option are mainly because, uh, between three removal spells, and while Suffocate and Lightning Strike are arguably a bit better, um, I, I don't know if I will be able to play these cards, right? While Death Strike at this point looks very likely that I'm going to play that, and the fact that I have a Xenon Obelisk makes it better, since all my units will be a bit bigger on average, so I can get more value off of Death Strike as well. Like if you twist your ooze, that's a good Death Strike target. Does the fact that Death Strike has warp, but it's like one of the few removal cards that you don't actually need to re to remove anything the turn you play it? Like, is this a, a card that you would ever warp off your the top of your deck, even if there was nothing in particular you needed to remove that turn just to get it off the top? Or yeah, yeah, definitely. I've done so before, and if I don't have Specific reasons to not do so, I usually do it uh, unless I have better things to do on my turn, just to basically draw a card. And it might come in handy, useful, or maybe force my opponent to use a removal spell on a unit they initially didn't want to use a spell on because suddenly it's a threat to a card in their hand. So it's kind of like a good uh, alchemist blast or something in that sort of situation? Yeah, in a sense, yeah. And then That's the interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that way until this moment, and so... Because I just I have never played a Death Strike because I'm just like, well, shouldn't this cost one, one time? <laughs> yeah, what comes with a heavy price tag for sure. Uh, 
But it seems like the most one of the most warpable spells because you don't actually it can just sit on a unit as compared to a lot of them where yeah you know it's just a waste. All right, so then um, pack two, pick four uh, cards in contention. There is a Tundra Explorer in Primal. Um, in Time, there is a Training Ground. In Justice, there's a Sharpened Reflex, and there are no Shadow cards. And so, Ben, what did you end up taking here? Uh, I took the Training Ground. I don't have a lot of two drops. I have, uh, I think, two now at this point. Tundra Explorer is a good card, but I think I was hoping to not be in Primal, and I think that this lines up with the previous pack, where we're willing to play it, we're probably willing to play a Training Ground, and Tundra Explorer might be in a color that we're not going to play at all. So I think I like uh, that pick here. Pack 2, pick 5, cards in contention. There is a Tower Shield. I guess, which is... <laughs> There's justice. really bad cards. <laughs> what yeah. yeah. Six justice. Uh, it's a plus bit of one, shift plus stone and nothing else. Plus three, yeah. Summon you gain armor equal to the wielder's strength. There's a cloud snake hatchling and a blink wolf. And I guess there's, in theory, there's pack hunt and viper's bite in time. Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever played either of those cards in this format or any previous one. I don't really like any of these cards. So yeah. I think what I did was I picked the uh, Cloud Snake, and this kind of uh, it derailed me a little bit here because Cloud Snake is not really that good of a card, Cloud Snake Hatchling. And then it made me think I was a little more blue than I was because I, I look at my cards here, and the only blue cards I have are Cloud Snake Matriarch and Peak Top Tracker. That's not a lot of blue. But then I took this Cloud Snake Hatchling, and it got me in the mode of, well, maybe I am blue. Maybe blue is open or whatever here. I don't know. I think whatever I picked here, I probably should have just put it in the pool and not let it influence me. Yeah, I mean, this is just a, a pick between some card you will probably pick in the pool. I probably would have gone for the uh, the Viper's Bite here, since while it's a very medium combat trick, um, if I'm really scraping for playables, there, yeah. there's, you will get some value off of the, the Viper Spite usually. It's possible, like with a double block or something. Yeah, even if you just uh, use it on defense, like you have some high health unit sitting there on defense, or just a one or two drop you don't care about anymore and put the Viper Spite on it, you, you two for one yourselves, but you get one of the biggest units off the board where yeah. that is that is fine. It's usually a pretty low value spell, but it it will get its value. Deadly is a very powerful keyword. I think that in the end, that's probably a better card to take uh, than the, the hatchling for the purpose I was taking hatchling, which was to try and get something I could play. Uh, so it's better for that card to be in time in this situation. And then you had another um, pretty medium pack. So how would you sum up the end of uh, pack two for yourself here? Like I got an obelisk. That you can't really be too sad about that. But I didn't get very many, t or I didn't pick, let's say, too many time cards. And I didn't really see a lot of cards of any other color. And I think from this discussion, I think I could be in a better situation now with a few more time cards and still be kind of looking for another color to be. Uh, that makes me a little nervous when we're talking about like the end of pack two. It looks like I picked up 
a few more primal cards that are pretty medium. Farplace Finder, Advanced Scout, Aerial Ace. I think that card is really bad. But like I said before, I think I took these primal cards because I took Cloud Snake Hatchling. And uh, that's not a very good thought process to go into. I think I derailed myself there. I'm not real happy with where I'm at now, but now I'm solidly Elysian uh, with a lot of cards that I kind of don't want to be playing. Well, Mom, like one of the questions I had is you brought the draft to a really interesting place after pack one, but it just, this is one of the things I struggle with a little bit too, is like pack two was just so bad that it felt like this was an easy pack to get derailed in. And so Mm -hmm. like, how would you be feeling sort of after this pack two? Yeah. Everything after the training ground pick looked pretty bad. I mean, I don't see all the picks here, but yeah. I certainly wouldn't have been happy with the way the draft has been going. Although not too unhappy because the average card quality in my deck so far would have been pretty good. And uh, it is to be expected of the curated packs that after the first four picks, you don't see that much good stuff unless your colors are wide open. Unfortunately, it wouldn't have worked out too well for me here by the looks of it, because shadow seems to be uh, the color that is drafted here as well as time. It's hard to say, but it looks yeah. like and justice is getting is cut not, in this direction. Yeah, justice is not great either, which is your other option. Yeah, I mean, that's basically true for most colors unless they're wide open. Like, there's, yeah. there are not that many great cards in, in the curated packs in general. Yeah, so maybe that's, like, the important takeaway is just you shouldn't let <laughs> pack two or three influence you as much as you normally would just because you're sort of just trying to hope you make it through with a few playables and then hope to have a good pack four basically yeah yeah i think that's a really important tip because i think kind of like what ben was saying is like in pack two you're like well all these cards are bad but i guess i'm getting a few primal cards so primal must be the place i should be going in pack two or three but that's not necessarily true. No, that's the big danger in Primal as well. Because in packs 2 and 3, you want your color that is not Primal to be open. Because even if Primal <laughs> is open, it won't do you that much good. Because the best you can hope for is Scaly Gruen's Advanced Scout and a Lightning Strike, maybe. Yeah. And um, you really want to find playables in your other color then. And hopefully get some really good Primal in the Dark Frontier yeah. packs. Yeah, and so I think that this, what we talked about is just like going hard into just taking all the time cards as long as they're even remotely playable and therefore staying as open as you can in your uh, your other colors. I think that would have, you know, led both drafts in a good place. So I think we'll probably end the draft portion there unless, Ben, you wanted to talk no, about No, that's, that's fine. I mean, I, at this point, I'm locked into... Elysian colors to some extent, and I fill it out however I can. Uh, I do think the games with this deck were were really good, so I would definitely advise taking a look at that. But like this draft, it was early in the format. This is like, uh, was it just last week? Yeah, was it was last week. Yeah. yeah. So I feel a lot different about a lot of these picks, even just sitting here today, and I. I really like the the feedback that I'm getting about these because I feel like that's going to really improve my thought process going forward. 
All right, that's the end of the show. So we'd like to thank our guest, uh, Mom. Thank you for coming. You want to remind everyone once again where they can find you? Uh, sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me, guys, um, to be considered for that kind of thing. And um, yeah, if you want to find me, it's on Twitch, Man and Mouse uh, with underscores in between. And I usually stream from 5 p.m. to, well, basically open end, uh, my time which is GMT plus two every day of the week and uh, sometimes on the weekends as well. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming. It was great. Um, we were really glad to hear your insights, and I think this will be really helpful for the listeners too. Um, sure. So then uh, once again, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, thumbs up all of Barefoot Farmer's Reddit posts if he even posts this. Uh, please send all seven win deck lists uh, you guys do to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And uh, thank you for coming on, Ben. Keep on farming. Cool. We did it. All right. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now we can relax again. Uh. No, that was great. I think we had some really good discussions besides for me as usual. But, uh, <sighs> that Good was luck awesome. uh, cutting this into an hour and a half, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, we've wow! It's ten o'clock already. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I told right. my we've wife we would be done by noon. noon, and that uh... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Ben and I, mostly Ben, um, and the podcast are. Oh, did I skip that? I skipped card of the week. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just okay. I shouldn't have typed anything. Then you would have had a segment, and then we'd go back and do the card of the week, and you just record it in the, in the opposite order, right? <laughs>